Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Pastor Becca Reamer is preaching out of Psalm 80 with the title of Joy of Every Longing Heart and the subject of light. Let's welcome in the Advent season together with her. There are lights everywhere. Um, And if you are like me and my family, Christmas begins at Thanksgiving. Once Thanksgiving is over, that Thanksgiving meal, then Christmas, that season can be ushered in. Our family tradition is to go to Locomotive Park, um, and I heard some of your traditions are that too. We didn't see anybody there, but our tradition is to have our Thanksgiving meal, to go to Locomotive Park, to see all the Christmas lights, and then to go back and have dessert after we've walked it off. Um, That is where I think Christmas begins, right? But uh, other people are different. Not everybody uh, celebrates Christmas exactly when I celebrate. And so there are some people who are Christmas people who decide not to celebrate until the week of. And that's okay. That makes sense to me because then you don't have Christmas fatigue, right? You're not stuck just in the monotony of doing Christmas over and over and seeing it all around at the Christmas or at the stores um, since, you know, Halloween. Um, So it makes sense to decorate your house, to listen to that Christmas music, to watch all your Christmas movies uh, that week of Christmas. Then there are other people, I'm not going to name any names, who uh, Christmas music starts at the very end of Trunk or Treat. So if you are ever at our Trunk or Treat, listen to the very last song because it is a Christmas song. Pastor Paul ushers in the Christmas season at at Trunk or Treat. Maybe maybe you guys already have your nine Christmas trees up by October 31st. Maybe that's what you do. And let me tell you, if you have to defend yourself for um, how long you have listened to the Christmas music or how long you have decorated, I found this journal. The Journal of Environmental Psychology found that those who put up their Christmas decorations early tend to be happier and friendlier. So own it if you have already had your Christmas decorations up for a long time. Uh, But then there are others who this Christmas doesn't seem very celebratory. This Christmas is wrought with pain. Maybe there's current suffering that's going on in your life or in the loved one's one's life, and you're just not feeling it this year. Maybe it's too hard or too much energy to put up Christmas decorations. I want to say that that's okay. Maybe there are things in our life that's a little weighty. That's okay. When we experience hard things in our lives, our society tells us to just put on a smile, to just push past it, to fake it till you make it, and act like everything is okay. We are pushed and encouraged to rush past these emotions that we have of anger and fear and sadness and even grief. We are made to believe it is best to ignore and suppress these emotions and to just move past it. But these are very real emotions that we experience. And we might feel like there's going to be repercussions if we go ahead and explain and to express our emotions fully because we don't want to bring other people down around us, right? We don't want to burden people with our problems, And this might spill into how we approach God during times of trouble. Even though the Bible tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble, maybe we decide not to go to him. Maybe we internalize things or we try to think that we can do everything on our own. Maybe we're afraid to express 
frustration and anger with God. Today is the beginning of the Advent season. So for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we intentionally celebrate the coming of Jesus. The season, we're going to focus on the themes of light, light today, love, joy, and peace. Traditionally, we might look at passages from the Christmas story where we look at Mary and Joseph. We look at maybe even the innkeeper, the shepherds and the angels. But today and throughout this season of Advent, we're going to be looking at the Psalms, remembering that God meets us where we are at and that he is faithful. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 80. You can go ahead and turn with me there if you're ready. This Psalm is a Psalm filled with grief. It's filled with anger and sadness and despair. And not only that, it's a psalm directed to God. Darkness and light, lament and hope, these are not opposites. Instead, they're more related than we'd like to think. We grow to appreciate the light and the hope when we have understood and acknowledged the darkness and the lament. So as we're looking ahead towards Christmas, it's important to remember that there is light in the darkness. I'm going to go ahead and read for us what Psalm 80 says. It says, Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it, and the wild animals feed on it. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted, this son you have raised for yourself. For we are chopped up and burned by our enemies. May they perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so that we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. It's safe to say that this community is crying out and living in darkness. They find themselves in the state of despair 
in desperation. They say things like, you fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. We are chopped up and burned by our enemies. Normally, I like to share the context of what's going on in the passage of Scripture as we read it so that we can get a deeper understanding and can relate a little bit better to the passage. There's no real clear context um, that people agree upon as to what exactly um, was the context behind this passage of Scripture. But what we do know is that there was a lot of turmoil that plagued the kingdom of Israel um, after, the king, after the reign of King Solomon. And it resulted in the division of the northern and the southern kingdoms. So the northern kingdom is, retained its name Israel, um, and they were made up of ten tribes. And the southern kingdom took the name Judah, and they were uh, made up of two tribes. And we don't know, it could have been a number of events that would have been the catalyst for this. Maybe this passage of scripture was written kind of close to that division. Or maybe it's when um, they were being bombarded by another um, empire, the Assyrian Empire that eventually defeated them. We're not quite sure, but what we do know is that this psalm originated in the north. That seems to be pretty clear, and scholars are pretty pretty well aware that that's what's going on here. So the northern kingdom, they know we know that they are heavily afflicted by a group of people. We're going to come back to the northern kingdom here soon. But some scholars have suggested that the psalms are written in a way that are broad, they're written in a way to where we don't need to be in the exact position where somebody was in for us to relate to them. So even though we're not sure what's going on, we can still relate to feeling anguish. We can still relate to feeling despair. Think of the Psalms as songs on Sunday morning. So on Sunday mornings, we sing songs to the Lord together, and it's usually a good chunk of our service. Um, so today we sing songs and we have a variety of songs. Today we sang some happy Christmas songs, and we also sang some songs where we were praying and reminding ourselves to run to the Father when we deal with despair and we're dealing with trouble. The words that we sing in these songs are words to express our prayers, our petitions, our praises to the Lord. And the words we sing are the same but each one of us comes with a different context and a different reason why we sing the words we sing. So today, we did not sing the, these words, but you probably heard this song before. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Someone might come to sing those songs or those words, and they're screaming it from the rooftops because they have seen God work in mighty ways in their lives. And they can shout out and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But then there's somebody else who might sing those words with a spirit of anticipation and prayer, knowing that God is worthy of praise and that he is the giver of blessing. But they may sing those song, that song with tears in their eyes, for they are in a season of waiting, waiting to experience the blessing that God has for them in the midst of their current suffering. Each one of us sing these songs genuinely correct, connected to the words, but we come with a different context. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 psalms, which are poems and songs and prayers of God's people to him. They don't all sound the same. They're not all happy. 
They're not all sad. And this is because real people go through real things. They have real experiences, real emotions. So at times, these psalms reflect joy and adoration. At other times, these psalms reflect people that are more contemplative, people that might even be angry. There are a few different categories of psalms. Some of these categories are psalms of praise and thanksgiving where highlighting God's goodness is key. Others are psalms of wisdom where they contrast uh, between the wicked and the righteous and how we ought to live our lives. Psalm 80, what we read today, is a psalm of lament. More than half of the psalms are lament. Actually, around 70% of the psalms are lament. Lament is kind of the universally accepted title for a poem with the kind of expressed frustration that we read today. This is in contrast to the other genres of poems that we found in the book of Psalms. It's not a psalm of praise or thanksgiving, which you would expect to hear phrases like, great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. And give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. This psalm of lament we read is also not a psalm of wisdom, which you would expect to read something like, Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Instead, we read a psalm with frustration, this, this desperation and complaint. Many people like to use the words lament and complaint interchangeably, but I don't think that that actually gets to the heart of what's going on. Because when I think of complaint, I think of somebody or people coming with a long list of grievances and just leaving it there, just complaining, right? I tell my kids all the time, Stop complaining. There got to be a solution, right? Stop complaining. Um, some have suggested that instead of calling it a psalm of complaint, maybe it's better to say it's a psalm of petition. And I think that this gets maybe a little closer because they're pleading with God to do something. They're pleading and petitioning him to move and act in their lives again the way that he has. But that still doesn't quite encapsulate everything. Instead, I think the better way to label this psalm is to call it a psalm of prayer. Because when we are in a state of lamenting, we are in a state of prayer. In prayer, we address God. And in prayer, we have space to complain, to shake our fists, to beg, and to plead with the Lord. Then, there's also space to praise Him. Space to worship Him for what He has done. And to remember that he is almighty, that he is our shepherd, and that he has the power to rescue us. Here, the Israelites, they're not just complaining. They're not just petitioning him to do something. Instead, they approach God honestly in prayer. They express where they are at, where and how they are broken. This is a prayer, and they've approached God in this season of their life. The Psalms show us that there is a wide range of emotions, a wide range of emotions that we as humans face. We find ourselves sometimes in seasons of gratitude. Sometimes we're in seasons of sorrow. 
Sometimes we can see God clearly moving in our lives, and other times we are on our knees begging God to make his presence known. We may fall into the trap of thinking that God only wants to hear from us when things are happy or when we are happy in praising him and thanking him. But we can and ought to approach God in whatever is going on in our lives. And we ought to approach him with honesty because we all do have ups and downs. One moment we might be experiencing joy and other moments we might experience mourning. We might be sometimes offering praise and other times we are petitioning and pleading with God. We can be confident to approach God in any season of our life because he wants a relationship with all of us, our whole self. We are his children. We are his beloved. He doesn't just want us when we are happy and cheery. He doesn't just want us when we are in one season or one um, state of mind. Instead, we need to remember that we can come confidently to his throne, whether that's shouting from the rooftops or whether that's begging on our knees with tears in our eyes. I think of uh, the story of Esther in the Bible. Um, she was tasked with, with approaching King Xerxes so that the imminent genocide of the Jews would not happen. And this was really, really risky because she was not invited to come to the throne of King Xerxes. And had he not put out that golden scepter to say that she was welcomed, then she could have lost her life. And I think sometimes we are afraid and we fear going to God because we don't know what he's going to say or we don't want him to be mad at us. We don't need to. We can be confident to approach the throne of God because he has invited us to come as we are. The very beginning of Psalm 80 begins with the words, please listen. If you have another Bible translation, it might say, hear us or give ear. This is an imperative. This is, please listen, and listen now. He's not, they're not saying, God, I'm going to leave a voicemail. I hope that you can get to it at some point. Like, if you just have a little bit of time, because I know you're so busy, can you just, like, maybe talk to me, maybe help me out here? That's not the case. That's not what's happening. They're saying, listen, I need help. They come boldly before the Lord. And they do this because they know that there is light, and that light and hope is found in God. This psalm is directed to God. That seems pretty obvious, right? But psalms of lament, this is really important that they, that we remember that this is directed to God. Because in the midst of their complaint and their frustration, they bring their concerns to God. When we find ourselves in hard times, uh, we may choose to complain and to vent to those around us. We may actually never approach God or address him. The Israelites did this plenty of times once they split from the south. So the northern kingdom, like I said, we were going to get back to it. Um, the northern kingdom, the, the leader, pretty much the leadership in the northern kingdom was not good. They never really led people straight to God. Instead, they did a bunch of other stuff. And so right when that, that split happened, the king decided, I'm going to make two golden calves, and I'm going to put them at the top of the kingdom and the bottom of the kingdom, and people are going to go and worship these golden calves. And with his leadership, this is what people did. This was in direct violation of the Ten Commandments because they were worshiping an object made by human hands. They had shrines that took the place of worshiping 
the Lord. And for a couple of hundred years, the Israelites directed their prayers, their praise, their worship to things other than God. We may think that idolatry is a thing of the past, right? We don't see people crafting golden calves. We don't see people making objects and then putting them on a shrine somewhere in their house. Um, So we may think that idolatry is kind of a thing of the past. Um, But having an idol is not just crafting an object. It really has to do with in who or in what we place our trust. When the going gets tough, where do you turn? It's tempting, especially in our culture, to put our hope and trust in things other than God. People can get consumed with the need for money. People can get consumed with trying to achieve success in a career and working a ton more than they ought. Getting wrapped up in social media in unhealthy ways is another way. Or working to gain fame and notoriety. When we face times that are especially difficult and we find ourselves looking for the light in the darkness, we need to take a step back and remember where are we actually looking for the light? In Psalm 80, the good news is is the Israelites, they had walked away for a couple hundred years, and here they are, back to God, back begging him and pleading him, and they are talking to him. So even when we stray far, far away, even if we haven't talked to God in years, it's okay, because we know that we can still approach our Father in heaven. He is still, with his arms open wide, encouraging us and waiting for us to come eager. In this psalm, the Israelites use several different names to address God. They call him shepherd of Israel, God, God of heaven's armies, and Lord God of heaven's armies. Declaring each one of these names reminds the people the truth of who God is and in whom they place their trust. To call him the shepherd of Israel is a humbling title, because the Israelites are expressing that they have a need and that they have one who is greater than they are caring for them. It is essentially admitting their own limitations. That's really hard to do sometimes, to to say that we're limited or to say that we need help. They recognize that God is in a position over them, but he's not a hard dictator who's barking orders. Instead, in his authority... He cares for and protects his people, his flock. When I think of a shepherd, I think of Psalm 23. I'm going to read to you the first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In the midst of the darkest valley, we do not need to be afraid, because God, who is light, is close beside us. When we're faced with things in this world that are bringing us down or that cause us heartache or that are weighing heavy on our hearts, we can take comfort knowing that we can approach our shepherd. We can find rest, renewed strength, but we must go to him to find that rest. 
The psalm also addresses him as God, God of heaven's armies, and Lord God of heaven's armies. Addressing him as God is giving him um, authority as the divine. Then they add to it and call him God of heaven's armies, or maybe your Bible version says God Almighty or Lord of hosts. This is speaking directly to God being the most powerful, how there is no match for God. For the Israelites to use this title to speak to God in a time of extreme distress is to show that they know that not even their enemies are greater. Not even their enemies are too big for God. We need to remember that whatever we're facing, God is bigger. Twice in the passage, the title is lengthened by saying, Lord God of heaven's armies. If you notice the word Lord, it's in all caps in your Bible. And this is a way for English translations to say um, the word Yahweh. Yahweh is the personal name of God. This name is far too holy to speak out loud in Jewish contexts. You wouldn't go, or you would go into a Jewish synagogue, and even now you would not hear the name Yahweh spoken. Instead, they would say Adonai, which is Lord or Master, out of complete reverence for who the Lord is. To use the words Yahweh Elohim, Lord God, is to combine God's personal name with his divine nature. To use both these terms emphasizes the intimate relationship God has with his people while acknowledging his authority as the ultimate source of power and sovereignty in creation. It is to the Lord, their Lord God that they say, turn us again to yourselves, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. This refrain is said three times. Turn us again to yourself. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Each time in verses 3, 7, and 19, the way that they address God intensifies. First, it was turn us to yourself, O God. Then it turned to turn us to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. And at the very end here in 19, it says, Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. The Israelites are humbling themselves in front of their God, saying he is their only hope. They cannot save themselves. They cannot come out of the anguish on their own. They've tried that. Didn't work. They are approaching God and admitting their need for him Honestly, they pray, they plead to God, make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. They are asking for God to show his power that is unmatched in all creation and to move in their lives again, to rescue them, to restore them, to save them. Not only do the Israelites express their hope in the Lord by how they address him, uh, but also by recounting the ways that God has worked in their lives and in the, in the past, in their ancestors' lives. Here's what it says in verses 8 through 10. It says, You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root 
and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. The Israelites are aware that the God of their ancestors is the same God that made a covenant with Abraham and is the same God who is present with them now. Remembering how God has moved in the past reminds them that they can and should place their God or place their trust in God who has proven himself worthy over and over again. By sharing stories, it also brings to the forefront the or by sharing their stories, it also brings to the forefront the importance of sharing these stories of God's actions because it is invaluable for those who are listening. Those in future generations may choose to walk away quicker in times of distress if they've never seen somebody around them handle it by talking to God. Maybe there are newer Christians among us who they want to see what happens when faced with times of desperation. And if your first thing is to go somewhere other than God, then they're going to learn from that. We are meant to do this life together. God has called us into community together. And that means that we can be hopeful together, supporting one another, encouraging each other when we are dealing with times of trouble. I mentioned earlier that the Israelites had strayed from worshiping God or at least God only, um, when they split into that northern and southern kingdom by making those golden calves. You guys, as I was talking about it, you probably were thinking of another time in the Bible where you have heard a golden calf made and worshipped. When their ancestors were brought out of Egypt after being oppressed for a couple of hundred years, they were at the foot of Mount Sinai waiting for Moses to come back as he was getting the Ten Commandments and talking to God. And they figured... He's not coming back. We, he probably got lost. We don't know where he's at. Um, we need to create a God for ourselves because somebody's got to lead us. This happened right after they just saw God part the Red Sea. They'd seen God work in mighty ways, and they're still trying to look anywhere and everywhere for a leadership. They forget that God is their leader. No doubt did the people in the northern kingdom, if they had heard this story over and over again from the time that they were all little bitty all the way up to adulthood, you would think that this would start to like spark in their mind when they saw the golden calves being made of, ooh, that didn't go so well the last time. But chances are they may not have known this story. They may not have been told. Their parents or those in community with them may not have shared this story, and so it got lost we see this in our own lives with our own kids. Kids seem to look to us um, because we have great influence in who we're rising up, right? If a kid is on a swing, I've seen this in my own life, if a kid is on a swing and they fall, the first thing they're going to do is look to their parent or the person who is caring for them to see their reaction. And if you are freaking out thinking, oh my goodness, I need to take you to the hospital, this is bad news, um, there's blood coming out of your head, um, they're going to start to react the same way that you have. You guys have probably known that with your own little kids. Um, but if you stop and you see what they're doing and you don't react or you react in a calm manner, chances are their response is going to be delayed because they're going to have to think, what is the appropriate response here? The appropriate response may not be to panic because nobody else is panicking around me. They may, not even, they may not even cry. They might, but they have to think and figure out, what am I supposed to learn here? 
Spiritually younger generations, those newer to relationship with Jesus, they're looking and watching and learning from those around them. How are they supposed to respond in these times? When the going gets tough, do you call upon the Lord or do you stray? Are you teaching those coming up behind you and around you that the Lord is and was and is to come? We are in this community of believers that includes all ages, people on all parts of their journey of faith. And as we share our testimonies with each other, as we pray for one another, and we can learn from each other and be strengthened in our faith together, and we can share in this hope. We can come to know the Lord deeper and learn to call on him in all seasons together, for we are intended to be in community together. So why would we read Psalm 80 as we approach Christmas? Why not just focus on the shepherds and the angel and the good news that the Messiah has come? Because even in the season of anticipation, and even in the season of looking ahead towards Christmas, we might be experiencing grief and trauma and sorrow and fear. We might find ourselves in a season of lamenting, we might be stuck in a season of darkness where we're saying, God, where are you? Are you even hearing me? God, when is it going to get better? Why is this happening? Then we can be reminded that we can approach God who is light, who brings hope, for he can handle everything we are going to, through. He can handle all of our big emotions, all that baggage that we brought in with us this morning, that stuff that we carry around that is just too heavy for us to bear alone. God is greater than even our biggest enemies, our biggest obstacles, our biggest giants, our biggest fears. He is the Lord God of heaven's armies, who is also our shepherd. He also protects us. In his authority, he comforts us. He guides us into restoration and salvation. Today is the beginning of Advent, Advent, which means coming or arrival. And as we prepare our hearts for the coming King, may we remember that we can come as we are. For Jesus came for us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in our broken world. God with us in our joy. God with us in our fear. God with us in our suffering. God with us in our anger. God with us in the waiting. We are reminded that when we lament honestly to God, we are moved into hope. Hope that is built on the trust and the truth and faithfulness of God who continues to come. He continues to show up. He continues to love us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss. We live in a dark world with darkness and brokenness, but we can know the light because Jesus is the light of the world. He came to be light. As we long for Jesus to show up and to meet us in our deepest needs, to heal the deepest wounds in our lives, we can sing our laments, but we can sing with confidence that he hears us and we can hope and we can trust 
that he is faithful and that he will shine his face down upon us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you to be reminded that we can come as we are. We don't need to act a certain way. We don't need to have everything put together before we walk into this place or before we approach you. God, we thank you that you came for us. Came for us in our suffering. Came for us in our sin. Came for us in our darkness. God, thank you that you are hope. That we don't need to just wallow in the despair thinking that there's no way out. God, because that's how it feels when we're trying to do it alone. How it feels when we just try to do things all by ourselves. God, as the Israelites, we see that that doesn't really work. And we're left waiting, searching, trying to find what's there this whole time, which is you. God, we thank you that you go before us. We thank you that your arms are open to us. We thank you that we don't need to search high and low for you. But you are right there beside us. Eagerly waiting to hear from your children. To hear from your beloved. God, this is a season that can be so celebratory, so fun, so joyful. But it also brings with it emotions of loss. Emotions of pain. Wondering when change will happen. God, thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for carrying the burden so that we don't have to on our own. But not only are you carrying the burden, you're helping us out of it. Because you are our hope. You are our salvation. We don't need to be stuck in sin. We don't need to be stuck in darkness. We have hope for a future. As we look at Advent, we look behind, but we also look ahead. We look ahead to your promises. We look ahead to the coming of King Jesus. God, as we move into communion this morning, help us remember that we can come to you and come to the table just as we are. For you are there. You are our host. And we are together in community, lifting one another up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First NAS podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.